0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates Podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Dean Ritchie from the Daily Telegraph. Dean has been reporting on Rugby League with the telly since 1990. We chat about how he got his start in the media, what it was like reporting on the Super League war, who he thinks should be the new NRL CEO, and how he got the nickname Bulldog. Dean Ritchie's one of the nice guys in media, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Dean Ritchie, thanks very much for joining me on the Media Mates podcast. Absolute pleasure, Ralph. You're known as Bulldog. How did you get that nickname?
1: Uh, Funnily enough, it was actually Phil Buzz Rothfield, a colleague of mine at The Telegraph, I started 1990, and my first trip back then were those pre-season games when we all went to the bush. Of course. Yeah. I think it was called... the challenge. To challenge, correct. And my first um, gig, for want of a better word, was at Bathurst, and there was a very famous trotter called the Bathurst Bulldog, which I think true name was Hondo Grattan. So I became the Bathurst Bulldog, and of course Bathurst ended up going, and Bulldog stayed, and I've been Bulldog to this day, and a lot of people... Some don't even know my name. It's just bulldog. I get bulldog. I get bully. I get doggy. I get, um, wolf, um, puppy. I get all sorts of
0: things, mate. But yeah, not many people call me Dean. Word has it that, that you were a pretty handy, uh, footy player back in your junior days. That's my male. Is that, is that correct? Mate, I was okay when I say that
1: I am talking about, um, 30 years ago. I played rugby union and I played, um, for the local North Shore zone. And from there, I, managed to make the CHS trials, and from there I actually managed to make CHS first 15 in rugby for two years in a row, which was which was a nice little achievement, I guess. The second year, in 86 it was, we went to Japan on a trip, and on that trip were a couple of actual um, players who wanted to play rugby league. Um, Graham Mackay, who played for Penrith yes. West and uh, New South Wales, Manoa Thompson, who I'm still good mates with, of course, Jared Haynes' father, and another one was Scott Gouler, who went on to become a dual international. So the, a lot of that um, team actually went on to play league and I played a bit of um, rugby for Sydney under-18s as well and I had a couple of trips there. So they were good times, Ralph, but after I finished school, I went into Manly Colts playing Union again yeah. and just, you know, I got a job in journalism, it became a bit too hard. And Back then, amateur uh, rugby was amateur and I was probably, to be truthful, never really going to make a career out of rugby. I knew my <laughs> limitations
0: so I went into journalism and started writing about it. Now how did that all begin for you? did you go down the path of uni or were you one of these ones that uh, came through at that time where work experience was something that was a big part of your life before forging that career? Correct. It,
1: I was prob- probably one of the last ones to sneak through the, the system as such before it became heavily, um, you know, uni-based, Um in year 11, I was at high school and I started writing stories for a local paper called the North Shore Times, which is, is still going. It's a very successful paper still. Yeah. And they started publishing at that stage. They had a few journalists who were writing in the news section of the paper, but they didn't actually have a dedicated sports reporter. Okay. So here I was little kid in year 11, little five foot five, little headed bloke, typing one, my little <laughs> rickety typewriter. And of course they kept running stories and it was a big thrill in year 11 to have that. Um, Absolutely. Published and have a byline by year 12. Um, they actually started paying me. I can't remember what it was, Ralph. It might have been $50, $60 a month or something, whatever yeah. it was. But even that was even a big thrill to be getting paid to be a journalist when you're still at school. And then the uh, editor in, at the time was Mike Coleman, who's still an editor, who was very well known at the Courier Mail Yeah, absolutely. now I'm News Limited uh, based uh, London correspondent. He gave me a cadetship before I actually finished school. So I virtually <laughs> finished school one day and went and started work the next day. So I didn't go to university. Probably, thankfully, because um, my grades weren't great, mate. I was too uh, too interested in playing sport and, and 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 reading about footy as opposed to doing my maths and my, my science. And sports journalism was always the thing for you. Yeah, when I was in year ten, mate, I thought that was I would have been sixteen. I I thought that that'd be a good career for me, and I managed to actually um, get some work experience as a year ten student at Big League through old Bill Morty. mate. of course, yeah, may rest his soul. And that was the year 1984 I met Peter Peters, and I'm still good mates with Zorba to this day, so we've been friends for 32 years. I also managed to get work experience that year at Rugby League Week with Ian Heads, who was always very good to me, and um, Ian's still around the industry doing books, and his son Phil was my sports editor at The Telegraph for a while. So I got a few contacts in those years as well, went straight from school um, into journalism. I had about three years at Cumberland with North Shore Times, okay, and then I transferred into The Telegraph uh, in uh, uh, late... 1989 and started riding rugby
0: league my first year in 1990 so 26 years mate uh, coming up long time you mentioned a few great names there in terms of I guess mentors were there many other people there in your early days that you looked up to and also helped you along the way because something like that can be quite daunting walking to it Well, it is particularly when
1: you're a kid and you you love reading about these blokes and you, you read their stories every day in the paper and you you know I used to listen to Hollywood and Zorba as a kid coming through the 80s when they were the number one um, rating um, broadcaster for football. So, yeah, it was. Look, Morty was good to me. Um, as I said, uh, Zorba was good to me. Um, when I got to the paper straight away, you know, Ray Chesterton and Phil Rothwell were very good to me. Um, I'm, uh, Ray's not there anymore, but I'm still keeping touch with him, and Buzz is still a great mate of mine. So there were lots of um, people around the time that uh, I learn often. Time's so valuable these days, Ralph. You you, you you don't have a lot of time for other people, but I I, I desperately try to if I can help a young kid along the way, just yeah. I know how much it meant to me to have when somebody help me. So if, if I can just repay the favour for the next generation, and hopefully they'll do the
0: next generation and, and so forth and so forth, and everyone can sort of help each other along the way. Well, going down that line, I'm obviously from a, a radio background. So I'd like to know, and I'm sure people that are listening to this would like to know how that works from a newspaper perspective. Because to me, it seems like, and it's still to this day. Newspapers seem to set the agenda for the other forms of media. What was it like in those early days in terms of trying to set up contacts? Is that where the basis is formed to write a story?
1: Yes. Mate, I was really lucky, Ralph. I, I came through again an era where I forged a lot of friendships. To this day, the, the friendships I made with players back then is beneficial now because a lot of those folks have become coaches. Right. Like I'm good mates with Laurie Daly and, and you know, I know uh, Ricky Stewart really well and yep. and uh, Trent Barrett. Uh, I know really well, and there's a lot of those blokes who came through the 90s when I was starting out and now sort of um, moved into coaching. I, I just feel a bit sorry for the young ones today, though, um, Ralph, in that back then you sort of had more access to the players and you could actually forge a friendship with them, which we did in those times. These days the access is so limited. No young journalist could possibly forge any kind of relationship with a player because they just don't get to them. You know, You might get five minutes at an all-in interview yep. and then he's gone. Okay. So there's just no access to actually get to them to to build some sort of um, camaraderie with them that can can last you, you know, right through your whole career. And I was lucky, as I said, a lot of those blokes are. Uh, you know, I started out
0: when they were starting out, and I've just kept in touch with them all the way through, and and even to this day, it's beneficial to me. And like you said, getting that story out of them, getting to to tell those stories, like you say, if you've only got five minutes in an all-in press conference, it's hard to get those nuts and bolts and human interest stories that. Create the profile for the players is who taught you? Um, I guess the art of 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 really fleshing out a story.
1: Well, it's it's a shame. Just for answer that mate, I'll just say, look, it's a shame that we don't get access anymore. There's a lot of fantastic stories out there that just aren't being written anymore because there's no access to the players. You know that they just the clubs won't give them to us, and a lot of people on social media say, oh, well, you know, you know, why do you guys want to speak to the players and? It's not so much I want to speak to them, but where does the avenue to the public and to the fans, you know, it's not, if they want to withhold him from speaking to me, that doesn't worry me, man. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But no, it's the fans that miss out and they want to read about their players and what their players do out of football and any human interest stories that, you know, that they're involved with and just delve into their lives a bit deeper. Not so much into their private lives, just more what makes them tick and, what they like in life, do they like to go to the beach, do they like to go here, just their their hobbies which just takes them away from the football field which we see each
0: week and there's a lot of those lovely stories which we just, just don't get to see anymore mate, because of the uh, restrictions. Well, you've got the platform to actually sell it to the wider community whereas I've noticed a lot of the clubs these days tend to go down the path of trying to sell those stories through their own website. Well, they're actually kind of narrowing a view in a way in that they're limiting to, to, to a fan base whereas you're not uh, just Parramatta. You're not just Canterbury. You're not just Cronulla. You're the entire Sydney audience. So that, therefore, that story of of a player that may be rising through the ranks is being uh, really restricted in in many ways. Yeah. Look, a hundred percent. It's not just us. It goes in our
1: newspapers. It's really funny. People say newspaper circulation is dwindling, and it is to some degree. There's no doubt about that there's probably more people reading our stories than ever before at this time. You've got your newspaper, which has still got a fairly strong circulation. Of course, then it goes online at the Telegraph and it goes online at the Herald Sun, it goes online you know, the Courier Mail and the Gold Coast Bulletin, all the news-limited papers around Australia. Then, of course, you've got Facebook and Twitter and so on and so on and so on. So it's being read more than ever before. And as you say, clubs that want to just put it on their website, that's fine, but it's a bit of a narrow approach, I think. And with all due respects to a lot of the media managers that do the stories aren't, oh, how do I say this without being rude, aren't qualified journalists. They're not actually getting the best story out of these players. It's just very superficial and you're not actually getting the, the true story which could be told by getting a, a, a journalist in there who knows what he's on about.
0: It's been the case for quite some time, as you mentioned there, that websites have sort of taken over things. So that has meant that you've had to adapt in regards to, I guess, the speed of the the news cycle. You can't just withhold a great yarn that you're sitting on for the next day's paper, it's got to go up online, it's got to go Twitter, it's got to go Facebook because that's where the fans are and they've got this great appetite for news and information now. Has that been a difficult transition for you, who someone that's come from the the old school side of things? Yes and no.
1: You've just got to adapt to the changing times. If you don't, you're going to get left behind. I will say though, not not every story we do, Ralph will put up online early. We might try to hold it back just for the paper if we can. I mean, we do charge a dollar twenty for a newspaper. Dollar forty. Dollar forty. There you go. Sorry, I'm probably a bit out of time. So, so you've got to give them something fresh, mate. You just yeah. can't give them everything that they've read online the night before. No, so you, exactly. You've got to try to hold something back, and it's just a judgment call in the office. If you think you've got a story that no one else will get, let's keep it for the paper. But if it's a story that others are going to get. Then you just go bang. Let's get it out there online
0: straight away. Well, I guess I mean it comes back to that whole thing of um, driving the agenda for the day. So yes. you will pretty much be able to put it in that paper, and you will know that radio stations and TV stations are going to pick up that yarn yes. uh, and run with it for the whole day. Yes. And you've you've, you've I, broken I get a kick that story, out of that, mate. I,
1: I really do. Even after all these years, I still give you a buzz. I, I love doing a story at night and wake up the next morning. And I will. I flick around the dial in the morning sometimes and hear the radio reports and. If each station's carrying that, whether it be AM or FM, or um, you know, I, I get a kick out of
0: that. It's nice to know that they're they're following up the story that I wrote. You mentioned before it's harder to get stories given the fact that there's no access. Do you rely on those contacts that you you, you said earlier to get those those stories pumping again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, contacts
1: for everything in in journalism. If you don't have contacts, you've you've got nothing. Um, and I've got a few great contacts out there who I've been really lucky to nurture over the years. And. It, it, look, it goes both ways too, Ralph. You, you've got to look after them along yep. the way and, you know, that doesn't mean, um, you know, writing puff pieces all the time but it means helping them out if they need something and if they, um, yeah, maybe want a little favour, you, you, you try to help them out along the way and, I mean, you can't expect it all to be one-way traffic. But No. I've got a couple of good contracts. I won't say who they are because they ring up anonymously, who actually now, you know, ring me. That's, I've sort of trained them in a strange way. To, to to ring me, so the phone will go once or twice, three, four, five times a week with different blokes who have got stories for you. But it, it's hard finding a former player or a current player who have a good news sense. Some yes. likes might be good mates of yours, and something will happen to them. And you go, why didn't you tell me? And I will go, well, I, don't, I didn't think that was a story. Didn't and I go, think it was important. It was a story, <clears throat> it was a bloody back page story. Then you yeah. sort of get a bit cross, but that's not their job to have news sense. That's no. my job. Their job's to play football. So I get it, but. A lot of former players who have been around the media for a long time, they just get it. They know what a story is.
0: They'll hear it, bang, pick up the phone, ring me and away we go. I mentioned before making that transition from you know old school newspaper to online uh, and now social media. Part of your role also these days, you seem to bob up everywhere. So whether it's a radio spot or whether it's a TV spot, is that something that you're comfortable with, or is it something that you've managed to develop those skills over the years? Mate, I, I love it, Ralph. And
1: look, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, a, I'm brilliant on radio or TV. I, I'm a newspaper journalist. I've always said that. If they invite me onto their shows, fantastic. I love it. But I'll always be a print journalist. That's what I am, and that's what I'll always be. And uh, But look, I do a bit of work for um, you know, 2KY on Sundays, and I've been on Ray Hadley's 2GB for about, oh, I think it was about eight or nine years on the sideline, which was a great experience. Yep. And a bit of work on Fox and Channel 10. And look, they're, they're, it's great. It's, it's, it's just a bit different sometimes. I guess it's like any job anyone has, if you can just sort of move to the edges a bit, it makes it a bit more exciting and a little bit different along the way. And look, I enjoy that. But as I've said, I've always been a print journalist and that's what I've always deemed
0: myself to be. I guess from your perspective is that you know that if you're writing a story, it, I don't know, it might be a thousand words or something like that. You've got time to go back and edit and change different sentences or use different words. I guess with the, the electronic mediums, there's no time for that. What you 100%. say is 100%. what it is and it's out there and it can't be edited, particularly if it's live. It's really funny you say that, mate, because on that
1: Sunday morning um, Sky Sports radio show I, I help out with, they tweet some of the stuff that I say along the way Okay, and I'll hang the phone up. I normally do the interview from home and, and then I'll go on a Twitter and there it is. It's what I've said straight away. And sometimes yeah. I think, oh, God, did I actually word that how I wanted to word it? The gist of it was right, but every word, as you say, and you've obviously been on radio for, for many years yourself, so you know every word is being scrutinised. You don't have time to go back and hit the pause button and, and, and rejig it. If, it. Once it's out there, it's out there. There's no getting it back. So, look, it is difficult. Same with TV. You think live TV, it could be a bit nerve-wracking. You think one error under pressure... And if you're doing an interview with someone too and, and they fire back at you, you know, you've got to think. If I don't think quickly, A, I'm going to look silly. Yeah. B, I'll look like a bloke who doesn't know what he's on about. But <laughs> C, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be uh, scrutinized heavily. So, okay. as you say, it, 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 it is difficult.
0: How do you deal with that scrutiny? Obviously, as I said, with the advent of social media, there's a lot of um, keyboard warriors out there. Trump. So, yeah. there's going to be, whether you be a. Um, Uh, writing an article that may be against a certain club or you may be appearing on radio or TV. Um, There's plenty of people out there that are uh, quite willing to rip you down. Man, I don't normally swear, mate, but they're dickheads, let's be honest. They're
1: absolute dickheads, some of them. I don't mind criticism, Ralph. I give it. I've got to take it. I don't mind debate. I don't mind scrutiny. I guess if you're in a job in the media, you're going to have to cop a bit of that. That's fine. I I live with it. I, I actually enjoy a bit of feedback myself. But just blokes that get on there and just want to swear and use foul language, I just generally block them. Oh,
0: and yeah. hiding behind anonymous, yeah, anonymous profiles yeah. and all of that kind of that. thing.
1: Give me a name, give me a number, and I'll ring you up. And of course, they go very quiet, very quickly because they don't want to be, you know, in any sort of confrontation.
0: So is that your way of dealing with them? Block them, I let block them go. Them. Look, sometimes it, oh, they, they, they get to me a little
1: bit, and um, it sucks. You, you in, fire right? back, yeah, yeah. you fire back, and then you think, why did I fire back at this palooka? The bloke's obviously an idiot. Um. But generally speaking, Ralph, I'm happy to have a debate, but if it gets in any foul language, I just block. It's probably the easiest way out of the whole thing. They're gone then and they, they, they can't come back.
0: Would I be right in saying that the biggest story that you would have covered in your time would be Super League? Certainly over the years, yeah, there's been a few big ones, but that was just amazing. It was extraordinary. Well, From the the yeah. time that it broke to all of the secret meetings that were going on, um, I was just starting at that stage and to be thrust into that, uh, period, or uh, you know, unprecedented period in in rugby league's history was just amazing. What was it like from your point of view?
1: Man, I, I was like you. I was probably a, a little bit older than you, Ralph, but I was only in my fifth year, ninety five. So I look back now, and I, I sort of wish I was a bit older. I could have digested it a little bit
0: more than just being a youngster. But oh, So what in terms of. Just going full on after the story, yeah. right, You know, hold hold back a little bit and sort of observe a little yeah, bit more. Rather than being a twenty
1: five year old black covering it, I would like to have been a forty five year old black covering yeah. it. I reckon I probably got a, a more mature look at the whole scene. And I mean, it was difficult for for us, I guess, without sounding like a, a, a martyr. That News Limited was the one behind it, because yes. we're a News Limited paper, so we were quite obviously, you know, um, supporting. Super League. Yeah, supporting Super League, which. You know, people couldn't work out, and it's like, well, it's fairly obvious if that's what your boss yes. wants a bit of support, well, you give him support. That's like any boss in the world with any
0: employee. You don't sort of um, go against what your boss wishes. So, so were there, I don't know, take us behind the scenes, were there directives from um, no, people I, or there, anything there like mate, that? I, I can see your hand on heart and say they weren't
1: directives. Um, we tried to be balanced. It was difficult. Whatever we wrote, we we're always going to be the bad people. We tried to give the ARL publicity every day. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you either and say it was all, you know, 50-50. It was probably more, you know, 70-30 promoting Super League. And, I mean, Rupert Murdoch tipped in billions of dollars in a Super League. You know, we were hardly going to come out every day with um, stories, uh, you know, about teams in a rival competition. It was just would have been, you know, professional suicide, wouldn't it? So they were tough times. Thankfully, they didn't last too long. You know, the residual damage was there for years, but the actual was only two or three years and then everyone sort of by '98, we'd come back together again, and from there, everyone sort of seemed to get on pretty well. A lot of friendships were lost there. Yeah, they were. Did you have any that Not were lost? Really, man, I was probably a bit young back then. As I said, Ralph, I know like Peter Fralingos, who's since passed away, and he was a, a, a great mentor of mine as well. Uh, he passed away in 2004. He um, he lost a couple of friendships along the way, which was quite sad. And News Limited determined that Chippy would be the face of Super League, essentially. Yeah. And he, he took to that with vigour and he did what he thought was right. And Chippy was a very noble and honourable man. And, um, but he got, you know, pulled down by a lot of people along the way, which would have been difficult to take. Um, thankfully in those days, there wasn't any social media that would have made it, um, no. just as worse times 10. So yeah, look, friendships were lost and they were, they were tough times. And yeah, I'm just sort of glad it's over. It, it looked super league, I guess, didn't work as what, as how they actually wanted it to work. But no, I still think that the actual, um, theory behind super league was the right way to go you know, rationalise teams and, and make every game a bit of an event and try to get more money into the
0: game. Well, I guess when you look back on it, there was probably bits from both elements of the game where, you know, tradition was kept on the ARL side and the Super League concepts like your video referees and things like that that have probably improved the game or made it made it faster in, in, in many sense and more of a, an entertainment package, uh, it probably, well, as much as we hate to say it, that bloodletting was probably necessary in a way. Mm. It's funny I, I I sound like I'm name
1: dropping in, I don't mean to, but I had lunch a couple of days ago with Blocker Roach and Benny Elias and they both were talking over Chinese that had Balmain gone to Super League, Balmain Tigers would still be alive today. So that that's their theory. Now, in hindsight, the money would have been there and Balmain wouldn't be extinct, even though they're not I mean, they're not extinct as such, but obviously they're an emerged yeah. team now. Um I know Norse fans, I speak to them, they say, look, if we'd gone to Super League, we'd still be around as well. So there's a lot of teams now looking back, thinking perhaps we should have grabbed the money yeah. when it was on offer. You know, Corrales still here, Canterbury is still here, Penrith is still here. Absolutely, um, a lot of those Super League clubs are still around because they got the big coin at the time. But look, hindsight's easy. At the time, the ARL clubs thought they were doing the right thing. They wanted to stay loyal,
0: and you know, anyone who wants to stay loyal, I've got no beef with it. Good luck to them. Did it affect your contacts during um, that period, or was it the case of like? you probably hadn't built up the established contacts that you yeah. have now. Not not like now,
1: Ralph, but certainly back then, yeah, I used to go to the ARL um, you know, training runs and there was a bit of hostility yeah. there, you know, nothing major but just more, you know, what's he doing here, you know, news limited stoolie and just stuff like that, yeah. you know, going right about Super League, don't come near us. It was vitriolic without being absolutely horrendously nasty. Yeah. But it was just little jabs to let you know that, you know, you're on the other side. We don't like the other side. So, um, you know, what are you doing here? What do you want to cover our games? Are there any players that
0: are completely off with you, like that uh, just would not speak to you at all? Up uh, through Super League or through any period? Oh, I guess over the years, mate. Yeah, dozens. God, dozens. Over the years, it
1: just didn't like you. Just didn't like the story that you'd just written on like any given day. Or... You might um, cop a gobble. Yeah, oh, mate. And coaches and and CEOs and mate. The list. Would stretch to Buddy Gosford and back, mate. But and that's just the way it goes. You, you write some that people like, and you write some that people don't like. It's it's just part of the gig, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's an old journalist used to say to me, "If everyone likes you, you're not doing your job." You're it's almost, so true. Well, it means you're sort of not having a crack in life, and you're not you know getting in there and rolling your sleeves up. You're writing puff pieces, and people don't always want to read about puff pieces. They want the truth. And if if you can unveil the truth and dig up the truth, and they don't like it, well, I figure that's their bad luck. If, if you've written the truth and they don't like it, well, not much I can do about that.
0: Well, that's the thing, I guess, if you were able to address players and say, well, look, if you don't get any, into any strife, I'm not going to stitch you up. I may be able to help you along the way if there's a, a decent story concerning you. How do you look at that from their point of view? Or have you had the chance to uh, address players and say, well, here's the job that I have to do, you do your job, you know, trying to uh, bridge that gap or explain what it is the job of a rugby league journalist is. It's probably the most
1: um, talked about issue in rugby league over the years. What constitutes a story about a player on the booze, you know? In the old days, your daddy you, used to go out and it just wasn't written. And not that the journalists were trying to hide it. it was no. just wasn't deemed to be newsworthy. A player getting into a fight down the pub, you know, they were amateur players back then. They trained twice a week and that's just what it was. No one really cared. Yeah. As the time went on through the '90s, it became more and more prevalent that you know you had to write these stories. And it is a bit of a you know, delving into players' private life. They're entitled to have a beer. I've always said this: Ralph. a player's entitled to have a beer because I love a beer myself. Yeah. I guess there's just that line in the sand. Given their high profile, and that yeah. if you're going to get into mischief, it's it's going to emerge
0: more so now with everyone who's got their phones who take photos and, and video. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean. Uh like you said before, it might have taken a couple of days for a scuffle to come out through a, a club, whether it be a disgruntled teammate or something like that was going to leak a yarn about, you know, footballers punching on. These days, if there's a member of the public around, it's instant. You know, it's just straight, away. S- straight on Twitter, straight on Facebook. Mm. And most of the time, if journalists are, are half their salt, the, the the fact is they'll alert you to a story mm. by, you know, tagging you mm. in it it's and then... Really, you're duty bound to report that. It's, it's a bit of a pain in the backside at times.
1: I, I I love that in a sense that, you know, they're out there. Citizen journalists. Citizen, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously to the players that are, they're a a pain, but every time that someone goes on a Twitter or Facebook with a rumor, you have this sort of nagging feeling. Oh, should I check it out? And it wastes your time. A lot of 90% of them are wrong. But the one you don't check out is the one that's going to be right. So,
0: And your, your mate down the street who's working for the other paper is going to get the yarn correct. and you're not.
1: You know, Brett Stewart signed with South, for example, and you think, oh, this can't be right, but uh, best make the calls. because course, you ring South, you ring man, and you've wasted a few more you know hours of your day and it's not right. But, look, they're out there, they hear mail, these people, they put up online and once it goes online, players are well educated these days too, Ralph. They know what they can do, what they can't do. And, look, the way I look at it, mate, is it, It's not great that the players are scrutinised, but that's just the way the world is. It's not just rugby league, it's English soccer, it's in Europe, it's in rugby, it's in NFL. Every sport around the world, they're scrutinised pretty heavily.
0: Does it disappoint you that now, well, the smarter players are in control of the message by delivering whatever message they want to deliver on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter? Players are now more sort of seen as celebrities, as more than rugby league players. Correct, 100%. Is, Is that disappointing? Um, no, I don't mind
1: that, mate. But they, they, I don't mind the celebrity status. Good luck to them. And they get paid quite well as well. My, my theory has always been you've got 10 years at the top, guys. Just pull your heads in. Behave, train hard, play hard, and you can set yourself up for life. By the time you're 33, 34, you've got a lot of money in the bank. You've got a property, two, three properties, and you know, the world's your oyster then. But if you want to throw it away by carrying on on the booze and fighting and getting booed out of clubs, it's going to implode and... There must be so many players out there, rough, that look back now, their mid thirties, thinking, geez, I absolutely slaughtered that, didn't I?" I butchered that opportunity. I that. I. That, I. am now working at you know, the local council, and I'm on seventy grand a year, and I could have, you know, really set myself up and my family for life. But, and it's hard. Look, their kids as well, mate. We forget sometimes that you know, a lot of these kids that come through were, well, you know, they're twenty one years old. They, you know, they're only kids, but it's it's a it's a fast learning curve, and if they want to have a big career, they've just got to learn and learn quickly.
0: We first met when. You and I were probably both on the road. Me for radio, you for newspapers. Obviously, does that? I don't spend as much time on the road these days, but does that camaraderie? Well, what, what I've set this up is you were one of the more welcoming ones. There's journo's that aren't. Let's call a spade a spade. Does that you know camaraderie still exists on the road between rival TV, radio, and, yeah. and print? Yeah, it's pretty good, mate. It's not too bad.
1: In the old days, um, there's probably a little bit more um, bitterness involved in the. The old, you know, um, telegraph, the mirror, the sun yeah. and the sun herald. They were more really at war with each other in those sort of halcyon days in the seventies and the eighties. These days it's not quite that, but I, I get them all from the blokes in the Australian and from rugby league week and from the herald, the radio. Some blokes out there in the media don't particularly cop. I think they're, you know, they're um, not my cup of tea, but that's just a personality thing. I don't dislike them for what they do. We're all trying to earn a, a, a buck.
0: We're all in the media. We're all just doing our best. And do you think some journos probably take it a little bit too far in terms of trying to go down that whole path of over self-promotion? I think these days it's pretty much a given that journos have to brand themselves in many ways Mm. because they're the the story or they're the ones presenting the story. So in order to have your name attached to it, there's got to be a certain level of branding that comes with social media and things like that. But there's there's obviously guys and girls out there that go over the top. Yeah, I think
1: certainly they go over the top, some of them out there, mate, but... That's up to them. I'm not going to, again, criticise them. Mate, with branding, Ralph, it's a, it's a, it's a good word, but I always just think from my point of view, if, if I get my stories right, my credibility be relatively good, which I think it is out there in in the public. Some people might disagree with that, but I think most stories that I write, you know, people, um, take as being fact and I've prided myself on not being a beat up merchant that gets things wrong. And hopefully when stories appear under my name, I'm I'm hoping that people out there read it, think, well, if Bulldog's written it, you know, I, I think it's right. That was my next question. How important is reputation? Everything to me. Everything to me. Alan Jones once was on radio and I, I took it as a lovely compliment. He said, um, the story's been written by Dean Ritchie and if Dean Ritchie's written it, it's got to be right. And I thought that was really one of the great highlights of, I wouldn't say my life, but in my career, just to have someone like Jonesy say that, and I thought, that's nice if that's my reputation out there. But you've got to work hard to get that reputation too It's and not get stories wrong and not get factual errors in stories and, you know, even little things, Ralph, like getting scores right and, yeah. and 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 names spelt right and every time you get one of those wrong, it just erodes your credibility a little bit, you know, and people pick it up and go, oh, God, he's got the date wrong again or he's got the wrong month in there or he's spelt, you know, Jeff with a G when it's with a J and just little things like that. But if yeah. you just keep getting all your, your facts right and you check your stories and you've got all your ducks in a row, hopefully,
0: um, as I said, your, your credibility out there is pretty good. Is that made a whole lot more difficult now by the fact that, Back in the day, you would have had a whole team of sub-editors that were, would scrutinise your work every day. Now, that seems to be a dying art. Yeah, no, we've still got a sub-editor's team, mate. We've still got a fairly good team in there.
1: And if you look, we're all human. We will make mistakes. Absolutely. There's no way we can all get away with not making a blue in our lives. But in the telegraph now, we've probably got three, four, five sets of eyes that go over it before it hits the road. So there shouldn't be any mistakes in there, but, you know, look, they slip through us so how often. It happens. It happens, mate. You know, as I said, there's every every vocation out there in the world, there's a, a, a blue happens. Just because we're in newspaper industry doesn't mean it's, we're flawless, but you like to think it doesn't happen often. And, and I, I don't like to think I make mistakes,
0: you know, we'll make as few as I possibly can because, as I said, I didn't, it erodes your credibility when you do. You've been with the telly for a long time. Have you had, had any offers to leave at any yeah, point? I, I have actually, mate. I've had a few. Along the way to go here, go there, and submit interviews to do this, and
1: but I don't know, mate. I I always just think that if you want to be a rugby league writer, the Telegraph's your paper. I think that's the paper that league fans go to to get their news. I don't think they go to a lot of other. I mean, don't get me wrong, the the league sections of the Herald are good, and and, and the Australians good, and Rugby League Week and Big League are still good. They're all you know got um, credibility and and value. But I just think if you're a diehard footy fan and you want your news, you 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 go to the Telegraph. You know, some now probably go to the. Telegraph.com, but um, I always thought this is where I want to be, and you know whether I last there, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But I'd like to finish there and walk out being a sort of a bloke who's been at the paper for you know a long time and walk out a happy
0: and proud man. The career's been, as you mentioned, a, a long one to this point, and we sort of mentioned your early mentors. Do you take great pride in telling or not telling, but um, trying to help out younger journals? I do, Ralph, but I'll say this. Um, I I love helping out a kid. I'm probably a bit old-fashioned
1: here. I love helping out a kid who's hungry and he's polite and he wants to learn, but there's a lot of Gen Ys out there who are young, smart Alex. and once they do that, they sort of lose me a bit. I I don't really want to help them. I know that probably sounds a bit nasty, but if the the kid comes to me and he he wants a hand and he's polite and he's willing to learn and listen, mate, I'll um, I'll help him as much as I possibly can. But if there's a young bike out there who's got an attitude and, rap on himself and he's swaggering in the office, you an know, office at you know, 20 years old,
0: thinking that he's a God's gift to journalism, mate. Well, yeah, you know, you know, I, I don't have much time for him. I've discussed this quite often on this podcast already. What is it about that uh, generation that's under us that? They feel as though they should be general manager on day one. Um I don't know, mate. I wish I had the answer. Jen, why? <laughs> they
1: don't. They don't. They don't want to do the hard work. When we were kids, you know, again we sound like old men. You know, we're told <laughs> to go get the, the the lunches. Well, you just went and got the lunches. Yeah, that's how it worked, mate.
0: And you built you up. But they come in now, these kids, and they just want everything now. Do you learn anything from them, like in terms of okay, well, social media and things like that? Where I guess. They learn about that stuff when they're in primary mm. school, whereas we've had to pick that up on the run as we go. Well, look, they're good at social media. There's no doubt about
1: that. They're brilliant on the phones and the computers and what they – Look, I, I've tried to move the times, and I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter and websites. Look, probably my knowledge of social media and electronic media is probably you know, 20% of a – you know yeah. 100%. I'm probably you – there's know, screeds of information out there which I don't know about. But I just try to keep up at least roughly with what's going on in the times. And But, look, it's hard. You, you sort of find yourself at some point where you think you've got it and then it's gone off into something else. You hear these names come out all the time about you know, new inventions.
0: Yeah. What is that? I, you know, I would have no no idea what it's about, you know. Do you have any other outside interests outside rugby league? What other sports you, do you enjoy? I love
1: my cricket, Ralph. I really do. I could watch cricket every day,
0: you know. I, I do like that. Um,
1: I used to play rugby as I told you, mate, but I'm not a huge rugby fan, mate. I never really have been. It's, I always put it that rugby was a great game to play, but not to watch. Correct. <laughs> I enjoyed watching it in the eighties, actually, mate, when like the Mark Ellers were there and the Michael yeah. Hawkers and Roger Goulds. And I mentioned Alan Jones before. Of course, he took that wonderful team to the grand slam in 84. And mate, they were wonderful, wonderful football teams, but. It's changed a bit, Union. It's not quite the free-flowing game it used to be, but the Wallabies did well in the World Cup. And, you know, I gave them a cheer. I'm not anti-rugby. It's just not my, just not my sport, mate. But, um, cricket's my number one outside that. And I love a game of golf when I can.
0: What is the biggest problem in the, the NRL? Um, Probably the NRL itself. Yeah. The NRL itself. Is, is that, is it that player access issue? Is it, is it rules within the game? What is it the fact that it's, it's still despite the the commission coming in, which nobody seems to know what they do the governance of the game? Just too many people having too much of a say? What is too, it? Too many people on too big a wages, but I,
1: I just hate the way it's we're going more PC by the day, Ralph. You know, we tend to losing a bit of our heritage and our working class roots in rugby league. It's a—it's an old-fashioned game, mate. It was brought up, you know, playing in the, the tough old schools and, you know, the old Lidcombe Ovals and the Henson Parks and that's what Belmore, that's what rugby league was. I know times change and I've, you've got to move with the times, I get it, but we're just so PC now. The shoulder charge has gone. I yeah. mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying every rule is is wrong, but um, just seems to be we're getting more and more to the new PC world
0: as opposed to the old rugby league world, which we know, and which, you know, rugby league was built on. What do you think was the legacy of Dave Smith's tenure at the NRL? Um, not a lot. A lot of people say that. So have we gone backwards three steps in the three years yeah, that we, I, he was there? Yes.
1: I don't, I was never a fan of Smith. I thought he was aloof. Um, he was a Welsh banker who liked rugby union. He was never a fit for rugby league. He was never someone who could relate to the west of Sydney where rugby league is, is heartland stuff. He just wasn't my cup of tea personally. And mate, he didn't like me that much, I don't think. And I didn't particularly like him. And mate, um, I just think he didn't have a grasp of rugby league. He didn't know what rugby league was about. He didn't know the history. He didn't know the culture, he didn't know about the old days, he didn't know about the players, and he was brought into um you know, to, to, to bring some top end of town money into the game and he probably did a bit of that. But even looking back at the T V deal now, which in hindsight's pretty good for rugby league, one point yep. nine billion, but you know, we got blitzed by the AFL who I think at
0: two point four. So even that left us behind the AFL in, in many ways. How important then do you think it is to get the right person this time around. They're hard to find, Ralph. It, everyone wants different boxes ticked, and it's hard to find a bloke who can tick
1: every one of those boxes. Who's got a corporate background? Who you know can access the top end of town? Uh, is perhaps an old leaguey who understands the game? And there, there's so many different levels that we've got to make sure this new bloke has. Um, they're now talking that it may not, or he may, or he or she may not be announced um, to. Middle of the season, I find that staggering that we can't find a CEO. Well, when did year. When,
0: when did Dave Smith leave? October.
1: I'd say we're looking at if it's not till the middle of the year, it would be probably nine or ten months, which I just think is absolutely ridiculous.
0: How can the game have no figurehead for that period?
1: Well, John Grant's an ego maniac. I think everyone admits that. Um, he sort of, I think he's enjoying running the game himself. To be truthful, but he's another problem in the game. I think he's got to go. Uh, Smith and Grant had to go. Smith's gone now. Hopefully, Grant will be next, and we can start to move forward again. Well,
0: can you explain to me? And I've had this discussion with a few rugby league people. What is it that the commission does? I thought that, that uh, given all those years ago when it was a much held appointment, and we need this for the for the fans and the future of the game, uh, we looked at the AFL model, which it seemed to work in terms of. Okay, well, the commission's governance of the game was the thing that set it apart from anything else. Our commission just seems to be a laughing stock. No one seems to know what they do, and look, there's
1: no doubt behind the scenes they are working hard. You know, they're, not, they're doing nothing, but still where's like the transparency? What they're going to do exactly? We don't, <laughs> I don't even know what they look like. Let's be honest. There's, <laughs> there's people like there You think, well, they've got good credentials. We know who they are, but they've never once sort of got out there and, and been made known to people. I mean, they could walk down the street and no one would know them. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they don't want people to know public personas. Yeah, but it'd be nice for the public to meet the people who make the decisions to, to know who they are and what they do and when they meet and what they actually come out
0: of meetings and achieve. and Or, just, even, or even just purely based on the fact that, okay, there's X number of players that get done for DUI. The commission has deemed that the, the penalty is this. It seems to go through about six different committees before we even hear from the NRL and the, the commission's still, not even mentioned. Correct. Well, that's what I'm saying, Ruff it's, Again, it's all PC crap. There's just no one there who says, right,
1: this is what you've done wrong. Here's your fine. But we go through these committees and these subcommittees and the decision gets delayed. And it's just like a government department now, mate. It just keeps going on and on and
0: on. And it's just getting worse. Well, I guess it's probably made even more farcical by the, the recent news that, that Shane Richardson, who was head of strategy for the NRL, nobody saw him for a year. He was working on the Penske file. And now all of a sudden he's back at South Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Well, L- like, like if, if that's the guy that's driving the game forward, do you think he would have had longer than 12 months in a job? Mm.
1: Well, and what Richo did do, that the club seemed to, to to rebuke. They didn't like it. They didn't like anything he did. So the whole thing seemed a, a mini disaster to I me. Mean, I, I'm still getting my head around the whole thing. He leaves house. He comes to a job worth about 700000 a year and then leaves after 10 months with nothing really achieved and whatever papers he had drawn up were rejected. So, again, I I just shake my head with NRL. It's... As someone wrote on Twitter last night, Richo's gone, more drum than a real, cue in the Benny Hill music, (laughs) which I thought was actually a very good line.
0: Uh, It's very much it's, it's a game that we all have grown up on. It's a game we all love. It seems to thrive on controversy, but surely we can sort of get it to the point where we've got a solid management and governance of the game. I mean, Andrew Dimitriou has a lot of knockers, but he was a dictator. And I feel that that Rugby League needs that kind of dictatorial management style to pull all the clubs into line and say, this is how we're running it, and if you don't like it, we're cutting you off.
1: That's what clubs need, Ralph. They need a dictator. It it sounds horrible, but, yeah, know, got Russell Crowe. Brisbane's got Wayne Bennett. You just need someone there to go, bang, Manly's got Scott Penn. Someone's got to come in and say, this is how it's done, and that's that. I don't want to go through subcommittees and I don't want this to roll on for month after month after month, whatever issue it may be, and then make a decision and then go to the board. Before we know issues are rolling on for four or five months,
0: it's just absurd. Again, as I say, I go back to what I said before. It's just PC. It's PC crap. We mentioned the hunt for the NRL CEO job earlier. Todd Greenberg seems as though he's been the guy in waiting for four or five years, If he's the man that everybody deems is the the guy to take over, why has it been that we're not just making that that appointment now? It's a good question.
1: I mean, obviously the NRL don't seem to think at this point that Todd is a lay-down Mazzia, otherwise they would have announced him. Um, To be fair, they are going through a a, a recruitment um, firm, so that takes time. Again, though, I go back to my old PC line, do we have to have a recruitment firm Come in for God knows how many tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can't we just pick it ourselves? And, you know, can't John Grant and his commission run through the the candidates and and do the interviews? I I can't see why we got to go through all this. Well, I mean,
0: there's a great risk that we could end up with another Dave Smith. Correct.
1: Again, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm a bit of a fan of a bloke at Penrith called Warren Wilson, who used to run the tab. Yep. I think Warren's strong. He's hard. He's tough. He doesn't take any, any rubbish. Business acumen. Business acumen. He's run the tab. He loves his footy. Um he's an old player from out um I think it's Samaris out there. So yep. He would be my number one choice. I think Warren would be great. But Warren's also a and a bit of a hard head and whether he would butt heads with someone like John Grant could be an issue and I think they probably would butt heads. So again, whether Grant gets in the way. Greenberg would be okay, you know. I used to be a big fan of Todd. I thought he blotted his copy book a little in recent years with a few decisions he's made. But um they'd be the two. Raylaine Castle's put a name for from what I understand. Yep. And if ever there was going to be a female CEO, I think she'd be great. I really got a lot of respect for Aileen. I think she's a, a fantastic operator. And you speak to some of the old directors at Cannery, old hardheads who have been around for years, and they say she's one of the greatest buyers in this
0: club's history, which is a fair rap. You're close to Laurie Daly. You mentioned that. How hurt was he by last year's State of Origin series? Shattered. He's well, the world's nicest bloke, Laurie, Laurie Daly. Fella. But even he must have he, been he went absolutely destroyed yeah. by that last he, he year.
1: He went AWOL. He, he, I, no one can get him for four or five days. There's a few concerns out there where he was. And the same when he lost in thirteen, he just couldn't. Um, he couldn't be found. He, he just he was gutted to the point of just virtually vanishing.
0: Because he's a winner, right? Laurie's winner. always been yeah. a winner. Canberra, Australia, and
1: the way Ralph Origin three. We went yeah. up there pretty confident. We'd been in Melbourne Origin two, and we. would We'd actually beaten Queensland going away, which was one of the few times we'd actually done that in recent years. And to go up there full of confidence, ready to go, against a Queensland side that had just been knocked off, they genuinely thought that that was it, that this was going to be the turning point. We'd win the game. That'd be the second series in a row and we'd start to build our own dynasty. To not only lose but to get beaten, I think it was 52-6. to I think Laurie summed it all up as he walked out of the box that night. Buzz Rothfield had access to the um, coach's box that night and wrote a story. Laurie got up, walked out, and just said, well, that was effing embarrassing, and that's hard to argue, I guess, as as sad as it was.
0: Looking ahead, 2016 season, we've sort of given the NRL a bit of a tickle up, but there must be some optimism. What are you looking forward to most this year? I want to see whether the Cowboys can win it again, mate. No one's done it since,
1: in a a, uh, United competition, I should state, uh, since the Broncos 92-3, so we're heading on toward, oh, God, what's that? My arithmetic's not great, but... Yeah, you know, 2025 20, years. 25 years, years yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, I don't know if they can do it again. I'm, I'm just, it'll be the interesting part for me. Suddenly, you know, the, 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 they will be the hunted. No, I, I wrote a story a few weeks ago, just was an interesting one that everyone loves certain teams that, when they win the comp, but as yep. soon as they win one, they're hated. Yes. It was like South in 14, mate. Everyone, 100%. It was, it was the greatest story in rugby league. This wonderful South team had finally won it after 43 years. Next year, everyone wanted to kill them. Yeah. You know, they were deemed to be sally cap cheats, which they weren't. I'm just saying no. they were in social media and they didn't yeah. like Sam Burgess and they'd become arrogant and they were dickheads and they were this yes. and they were that. And everyone loved the Cowboys this year. Yeah. Everyone loved Thurston and there was a couple of those Cowboys were all good fellas. So it'd be interesting to see what the public perception is of the Cowboys this year, whether they're jeered and booed, and whether they can go back to back. But look, there's certainly optimism, Ralph. You know, it was a great grand final, it was a great building block for this year. And you look at Teams you know, like Parramatta's built up and Penrith's trying to get back up there. The Dogs will be strong. As long as Sydney clubs, and I don't mean to sound Sydney-centric, but as long as Sydney clubs are strong, Rugby League will be strong.
0: What about the Warriors? They look like they've built up really well with their – but it's it's the story that everybody talks about about every year. Oh, the Warriors are are shaping up fine and then they all just fall in a heap. Every year I I, I think the
1: Warriors – this is it. Top four, and they built up again, but they have got uh, Isaac Luke and two of of Yeah, they? he's going to be an amazing player. He, he? is. Uh, maybe this is here. They should be, you know, winning comps. They really should. But they came in in '95. Yes, we're still waiting. You know, I mean, it's it's they're the greatest dud franchise in rugby league, aren't they? Let's be honest, they are. <laughs> they shouldn't be. And I like the Warriors. I'm not actually yeah. bagging them. And ask the Warriors, they have to concede that themselves that the um the amount of you know players they got over there, and look, they do get pill for this. Yeah, you know, there's a uh, there's um, recruitment office over there every week, but they should be better. And hopefully this year will be there. year. I'd, I'd I'd love to see them win a comp. Well,
0: because be. I mean they've been outstanding in the twenties for yeah. so many years that it's just it like that matter. that next That's, level. Yeah, it's just correct. completely uh, different. I'd
1: love to see it go offshore, mate. The Premiership, it wouldn't worry me. Mm. I'm not that Australia centric that that would worry me. I think it'd be great for rugby league. And look, I think league will never overtake union and. New Zealand always been up nine. No. the are rahs but certainly if they win a comp, it'd put the league boys up another peg or two. Getting you know, the
0: gap would certainly close. Yeah, and do you think these innovations that they've come up with, with shot clocks and th- do you think they're going to be good for the game or oh, or not really?
1: Okay, look, some of them are or is good it a bit stuff-
0: too gimmicky? It takes it takes a whole lot of. I guess, emphasis off the, the quality of, of the game when you're now focusing on these, uh, well, I, I, I kind of think the change to the interchange is, is perhaps a good thing, but but, but 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 the the other little gimmicks to make us more, we, we're not an American sport. No, exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, look, I had this here, I spoke to Desi Hasler once and he said, look, you know, and I'm probably talking out of school, he just said, look, I wish they would just leave the game alone, you yeah? know. Every year we try to be making little you know, adjustments here and there and some are good, some are bad and again, I don't want to live in the past, but just leave it alone. You don't have to tamper with it year after year, I even mean, if little bits here, little bits there. It's a great product, Rugby League. It's one of the best products, in my eyes, in the world. It's it's fierce, it's ferocious, it's aggressive, it's tough, it's got skill, speed, brutality, strength. It's got everything. It doesn't need to be tampered with. Just leave it alone.
0: Let it run its race and, and, and let the people watch it. We'll wrap it up in a second. But for, uh, lastly, I'd like to um, get from you some advice for young people that are looking to get into the media game. It's changed a lot since you first started. What would be the tips that you'd give to any aspiring journalist would they be in? You know, you've seen it also, you know, whether they want to get into newspapers, radio or TV.
1: Yeah, it has changed, man.
0: and I'll be honest with you. In the old days, what it took to get in
1: to journalism isn't what it takes now. No. What I mean, it's its changed tenfold since then. man. I've always been a fan of a, of a, of a real hungry young kid, Ralph. I, just a bloke who's dedicated. He, he wants to succeed. You know, he's polite. Yep. He, he wants to listen. He wants to learn. I mean, you're going to have to go through the university. We all know that now. They're, they're yep. quite long courses. There's no getting around that. Fortunately, I didn't have to do it, but these no. days times have changed. But just get in there, listen, learn and stay hungry. You know, it, it's a job that it could be a setback or two along the way. You mightn't get what you want. You might be in line for a job. You might miss it. But as long as you stay hungry, you stay focused and you really. Strive for what you want to do. You will get there eventually. There's plenty of opportunity out there still. Um, it might not be the job first up that you want, but it might be something else that'll lead into your job that you want. It, it'll happen. So just just stay hungry, and um, and just make sure you're accurate. You know, don't don't beat stories up and don't spin a lot of BS just to get a story. Because eventually you'll get found out and you won't last long. You've just got to do things right and don't um, don't try and make a name for yourself too quickly and don't try and sort of, you know, make stories up.
0: That might be wild headlines at the time, but uh, eventually you'll you'll get caught. Dean Ritchie, thanks very much for your time. Absolute pleasure, mate. There he is, Dean Ritchie from The Daily Telegraph. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Dean, please let him know by sending him a tweet at Bulldog Ritchie. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU, and please check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be really great. It'll mean that you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or a review. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media MediaMates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.